The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. And our show today is about compulsive stealing, spending and hoarding, which seems to be getting more and more um newsworthy in and whether it's in the magazines or it's on television we certainly have hoarders and clean house and um a number of other shows that kind of focus on this type of behavior we're going to be looking at what causes it and how it relates to other types of addictive disorders and our special guest today is terence schulman who is from Detroit, and he completed his undergraduate degree in English literature at the University of Michigan in 1987. He graduated from the Detroit College of Law in 1991 and has been an attorney at law since 1992, specializing in mental health law and criminal defense work. He returned to and graduated from the University of Michigan in 1997 and has since then been a full-time certified social worker and addiction therapist. He has worked as a counselor at chemical dependency clinics from 1997 to 2004 and was the clinic director from 1998 to 2000. Since 2004, uh, Mr. Schulman has been the founder and director of the Schulman Center for Compulsive Theft and Spending in Metro Detroit. He counsels people in person and by the phone from across the United States and Canada. He has authored four recovery books, the first one, Something for Nothing, Shoplifting Addiction and Recovery, Biting the Hand That Feeds Us, The Employee Theft Epidemic, Bought Out and Spent, Recovery from Compulsive Shopping and Spending, and Cluttered Lives, Empty Souls, Compulsive Stealing, Spending, and Hoarding, which is his most recent publication. Um, Mr. Schulman has organized and presented at many conferences across the United States. He has also been featured in numerous media interviews, including the Oprah Winfrey Show in 2004. Mr. Schulman has been in recovery himself since March 1990 from addictive compulsive shoplifting and stealing. He is the founder of CASA, which is Kleptomaniacs and Shoplifters Anonymous, which has support groups in the metro Detroit area and across the United States. Thank you so much, Terry, for agreeing to spend this hour with us. Well, thank you, Mary. My pleasure. You know, um, I think um, being an addictions professional, I've, I've always kind of known that um, shoplifting and stealing are part of of what oftentimes people do to support their their addiction. And um, beginning to think about this as something that's independent of of an addictive disorder um, is really interesting. And and I'm, I'd like to hear your thoughts on um, just to let our audience know what is shoplifting and what what's the difference between shoplifting and stealing. Well, shoplifting is a subset of stealing. I mean, there are many different ways to steal. There's credit card fraud, there's embezzlement or other forms of employee theft. 
Uh, they're stealing from individuals, family and friends, whether money or checks or things. But shoplifting is a subset of stealing. Now, not all shoplifters are what I call shoplifting addicts, but uh, as you mentioned in my wonderful intro, I did practice uh, as a um, full-time chemical dependency counselor for the first seven years of my social work career, and it certainly was not uncommon for us to have both alcoholics and drug addicts who would steal in the, uh, the midst of their primary disease to alcohol and or drugs. But what I also found uh, was even when people got clean and sober, uh, the the skills or the behavior of stealing that they learned along the way um, often continued, um, and um, it became like a replacement addiction. Now, in my personal case, uh, I was never addicted to alcohol or drugs, although my father was an alcoholic, um, but I got involved in a shoplifting primarily uh, around the age of 14 or 15, several years after my folks were divorced and I had a lot of ongoing pressures being the man of the house, filling in for my dad, watching my younger brother, helping my mom, you know, while she was at work, cooking and cleaning and having dinner ready and things like that. And I think little by little, you know, I stuffed all my feelings and tried to grow up and be an adult and tried not to complain, but I had a lot of ongoing anger and resentment, persistent feelings of life being unfair. And, I, and even I had some very traumatic instances in my youth of people actually stealing physical things from me, like a valuable comic book, a bike, a couple of skateboards, and, and increasingly I was feeling powerless or that even if I was trying to be good all the time and giving, that somehow life was not going my way or cooperating. And, and so shoplifting kind of evolved from a lot of those stuffed feelings. It was very impulsive and spontaneous to begin with, but it, it, was, like, it was like crack cocaine for me. It was like I never intended to, you know, continue to steal over a 10-year period and get arrested twice. Um, but that's kind of what happened, and I wasn't stealing uh, for profit. I wasn't selling things. I wasn't stealing because of peer pressure because I did it all alone, uh, not with friends or, or other people. Um, and I, I was not drug addicted or gambling addicted or anything else. So it was mainly uh, books, uh, cassette tapes, magazines, newspapers, sometimes toiletries, sometimes food, a candy bar here and there, so very rarely anything under $10. Um, but what happened was it increased in frequency, and it got to be, um, you know, like an addiction for me. Um, so I know, and in working as a therapist now for 15 years and specializing in this, when we hear stories like Winona Ryder or Lindsay Lohan, those two are a little different examples, or, you know, every now and then in the paper we hear these stories about these otherwise wonderful, seemingly honest people who are caught with their hand in the cookie jar, either embezzling money or stealing from the store. It does beg the question, what's going on? You know, what's going on? Is that person like, you know, is it a money issue? Usually not. Is it, is it, are they just dishonest? Usually not. You know, so it begs the question, what is going on? And once people cross over that line during a vulnerable period of time, a, a fire can be lit and they can continue. What does it feel like when you shoplift? I mean, what, what, does it light up your brain? What, what, well, what is that like? Yeah, there have been actually some brain scan studies done by Dr. John Grant out of the University of Minnesota um, Medical Center um, to show that when people shoplift or even when they think about shoplifting, those people who are addicted to it, um, so to speak, that you know, areas of the brain light up very similarly to any drug addict, gambling addict, alcohol, because you can show people images whether they're sexual images, which will probably arouse most people, but for a sex addict, you'll get you know some kind of brain map image that will be off the chart arousal. Or if you know a, a former drug addict is seeing imagery of cocaine or their drug of choice or somebody shooting up, you know their brain is going to light up a lot more than somebody who's never been addicted to that drug or had that experience. 
So we, we, we do know that even thinking about an addiction, and for a shoplifter or a shoplifting addict, most people describe a, a variety of feelings. It's not one size fits all. And even with me, during my 10-year uh, career, so to speak, of, of shoplifting between age 15 and 25, the feelings did vary. Uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, there was always an acknowledgement that this was wrong, some fear and some guilt and some shame, but there was adrenaline. There was, um, you know, an increased heart rate, um, a, a sense of danger, a sense of excitement. And then in, in one way, emotionally or psychologically, there was this uh, kind of sense of satisfaction, like I'm owed or I'm somehow tipping the scales back in balance. So there'd be some kind of fulfillment or satisfaction that was very dark and warped, granted, but um, it, it was very powerful. And a lot of people report that they, they know right from wrong and they feel some kind of guilt, but they also feel a mix of satisfaction, entitlement, um, power. Um, and, and some people even report that it calms them, that tipping the scales of, of fairness back in balance. And, and most people say, well, how does taking a 3 or $4 item really do that well in the same way that an anorexic might you know not eat like a 10 calorie cracker and feel like that's some kind of a victory um the distorted thinking is very powerful the feeling of getting something for nothing we all like to get something for nothing you know imagine times where you or your your people your audience who are listening we all like to get free stuff mostly you know gifts um a prize if you've ever you know won the lottery or a raffle or anything so we all like to get something for nothing not everybody will cross over the line but imagine if you figured out in your own way how you could create that feeling of getting a, a freebie or a prize or a, uh, a gift almost every day and you didn't have to spend any money, and you felt more clever than people, and you felt like it somehow was making up for all the injustices and things you didn't get. For a lot of people, that is the hook. So it's a physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual high. When um, my, my first pregnancy ended up in a miscarriage, and I can remember Sorry being so devastated afterward, and my husband and I, we went out and bought a microwave back when microwaves were really expensive. Right. And, and it was so exciting to go out and look for the microwave and buy it, and we brought it home, and all that excitement, I just crashed afterwards. So then we went out and bought a VCR. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, you know, I kept thinking if we bought something, it would fill the right. hole inside. And and after the VCR, I realized that nothing was going to fill the hole inside. But, uh. um, but you know, I think that a lot of us will... We, we have something that's empty, whether it's, um, in our case it was a miscarriage, whether it's something else, and we go out, and that buying something, is it is exciting. Whether, you know, like, wow, you know, I'm just going to go out and get a new iPod, or I'm going to go out and, you know, buy an iPad or whatever, and that's exciting. And then you bring it home, and it's like, you, there's like a crash afterward. Yeah, sure. but but And I'm glad that you were aware enough to figure that out sooner rather than later, before maybe it got more intertwined and interwoven in your life, but a lot of people don't get it or they, you know, after the crash they keep going back and they, it's that vicious cycle. And for some people who don't ask for help or know enough about addiction recovery um, and how to see what's really happening to them, um, they can really get caught up for many, many years, if not decades, before they finally hit that bottom or hit that awareness point. You know, it's interesting you mentioned a miscarriage because of a few years back I was uh, representing a shoplifter because I'm also an attorney at law, and this was a woman who clearly, in my mind at least, was uh, somewhat addicted to the, the shoplifting. She had money. She worked at a private school. Her husband was a college professor. They had a wonderful 10-year-old daughter. But, um, you know, her last incident, because she had two, two arrests, and I was representing her a few years ago on her second arrest, and it happened 
her arrest happened within about a year of her, of her miscarriage, and she had actually told me she began shoplifting shortly after her miscarriage. So we're in the courtroom before this notorious judge who really is very hard-line, and he was demanding, as she was pleading guilty, demanding an explanation for why, um, you know, why she did this twice, you know, because she had a prior record from a few years ago for some other stress that was going on in her life. And I plainly told the judge, I said to him, you know, Your Honor, we, if, you know, because she couldn't even speak. She was so... She was frightened and shaking, and I said, Your Honor, we're not meaning to make any excuse, but it appears that, you know, she began shoplifting again after some period of not shoplifting, after, you know, she and her husband, they had a miscarriage. Um, and before I could say another word, he pounded his fist in, in, in the open court with the whole room packed and said, My wife had five miscarriages, and she never went out shoplifting. You know, and I, what do you say to that? Because everybody is going to handle or mishandle stress differently or life events differently. We never know until life hits us, how we're really going to react. Our best hope is to know that we got a support system and can get through the tough times in, uh, in a, a more healthy way. Well, I think it's um, interesting in your book you say that there are uh, over 30 million Americans shoplift, and the, um, you know, that, that just boggles my mind, and that there are 300 million shoplifting incidents per year. And right. we'll be right back to talk more about... Um, shoplifting and stealing and hoarding and um, cluttered lives and empty souls with Terry Schulman after this commercial. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, This is Mary Woods, and today our guest is Terrence Schulman, who is the founder and director of the Schulman Center for Compulsive Theft and and Spending in Metro Detroit. And we're talking about compulsive stealing, spending, and hoarding. And um, he's written his most recent book is called Cluttered Lives, Empty Souls. And um, let's talk a little bit in this segment about um, employee theft and other theft. And, And why is that? I mean, I know why that's an issue, but why do some people feel like that's okay? That's a great question, Mary. Um, this topic of employee theft is, is one really dear to my heart, not only because I used to steal, you know, in some relatively minor forms from the workplace, um, but um, it's the most prevalent of the behaviors that I work with, uh, including shoplifting, over-shopping or spending, and uh, hoarding disorder. Um, there's been some statistics that report that at least 75% of Americans steal or are dishonest in the workplace in one way, shape, or form. So um, part of it is defining the terms. When people think of employee theft, they may not even know exactly what that is. They might think of, well, you know, the, the really obvious examples of people doing grand-scale embezzlement or fraud. So it includes that. But how about time theft? You know, uh, is, that, is that a form of employee theft? So how many people actually kind of come into work late but, you know, sign in that they got there on time or leave early but sign out that they left on time or took a long lunch break or how many people kind of loaf, uh, you know, talking on their cell phones when they ought to be working. Surfing the Internet is an increasing problem. Um, and then there's things like, you know, uh, making personal copies, uh, running errands on company time, um, taking home um, uh, papers or pencils or pens or staplers or things like that, uh, using company postage. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which people increasingly, I think, are, are feeling a sense of they owe me. And a lot of times people don't even think of it as stealing. They think of it as, well, I didn't get a raise this year, or I actually took a pay cut, or they made me pay more for my benefits, or they even took away my benefits. Or, you know, so, you know, a lot of times people are feeling stolen from, or they're feeling things are unjust. Or it could be something as simple as being angry at a boss for never acknowledging or appreciating or thanking you for something, or a coworker always feeling like you're giving, giving, giving. So it can be very insidious. And one of my favorite lines is, and it's true, it's often the star employee who is let out in handcuffs because one day, over the course of time, something kind of snaps, and a little bit by little bit, people start towing the line and, 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 and taking back not only monetarily or materially, but somehow their dignity, their power. So there's a lot of psychological, emotional components that can be very addictive and habitual. So people do it. Partly they rationalize it's not theft. Partly they feel they're owed. Um, partly they're acting out their anger. Partly they're acting out their authority issues. Sometimes they really convince themselves they have to steal to survive, to make ends meet. Um, a matter of convenience. So some people say, you know, it's such a rush, rush world. You know, instead of going uh, to the um, office supply store on the way home and wait in line and get into traffic, I'm just going to take something from, you know, the, 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 the work here. There's plenty of it. They'll never miss it. And it saves me a half an hour to an hour and maybe 20 or 30 bucks. And what the hey. You know, and so it can start off a little bit like that. Or during a time of a crisis in one's personal life, uh, I find this a lot with people where they, you know, it could be a financial crisis and or an emotional, relational crisis. It can get acted out in the workplace. 
just like stress at work can get acted out or misplaced at home, yelling at the wife, the husband, the kids, kicking the dog, so to speak. So a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of different complex reasons for it. And never, the vic- you know, never wanting to blame the victim, but a lot of companies um, are not very uh, smart in terms of oversight. We don't want anybody to be a hawk or a micromanager. That can really upset employees and make them want to steal, too. But a lot of times they're too laissez-faire, too hands-off. There's not oversight. They're too naive. Or they're just not thinking about how to manage people properly, giving them the support, making them feel like part of the company, um, doing their best not to nickel and dime the employees because that causes discontent and, and a desire to loaf or steal, but really investing in the employees as much as they can so there's less turnover, uh, and a, a happy employee is usually a more honest employee, but a lot of times systemically we're nickel and diming and think, well, if, you know, we can just save a dollar here, but it really ends up costing everybody a lot later. You know, in this economy especially where um, there, there are so many people who are, who are disenfranchised and um, so many companies have outsourced jobs or, um, you know, so many companies have, um, you, know, you know, the push against the unions, which I think... You know, to some extent, I can understand that, but um, it's almost like you know, kids today. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody feels like they deserve something, whether they've earned it or not. So, how do you balance that? Because, I mean, there are people who feel like all they have to do is show up, and then, you know, they deserve what the person who's working 120 percent deserves. Well, right. That that is a really uh, complex and deep-seated problem for a lot of people, particularly you know some of our younger people or people maybe who you know frankly are having trouble getting used to the fact that the times that they are changing and a lot of people are having to compromise and give up things that they thought they'd have forever: benefits, salary, job security itself. Um, I think where people get upset is sometimes when they see like people call it class warfare, but when they see okay, I'm already giving up a lot, but what about the people at the top or what about the owner of the company? What about the CEOs? When you know people. People see that the CEOs are getting million-dollar bonuses or they're getting severance packages, even when they've done a lousy job. It it really it it, it causes a lot of discontent and, and cynicism in in most of the workers. So there's got to be a balance. We're all we're all this together, but a lot of times people don't feel that way. But a lot of times, what I do is I get I get right back to the core with people as much as I can about. You know how they developed as children and their families, what the relationship was with their parents, um, and did they have authority issues, or did they always feel like they they weren't given acknowledgement or appreciation? Were they overindulged and spoiled, which can be a negative, or did they feel constantly deprived, and therefore they're feeling like they're making up for lost time by taking whatever they can to make up for that? So when people start to connect the dots, it's fascinating how they see the patterns. But if it has become a longer-term pattern or or an addictive pattern, they have to stay on top of it because most people are going to have to continue to work to live. But you can be tempted and have a relapse anywhere. And if you're fired from a job and you've got some explaining to do, you know, to your next employer about what happened at that other job, it can be very difficult. Um, Also, some people are prosecuted for theft. If you have anything on your criminal record today, particularly a crime of dishonesty, whether it's for shoplifting or embezzlement or fraud, it is really hard to get a job. I mean, it's hard enough getting a job these days without a criminal record. So then it becomes, it can become for many people uh, a hopeless, despairing, vicious cycle of, well, you know, now I can't even find a job because of my past mistakes. How do I get a second chance? And I try to work with people on being creative 
on how to do that. But, you know, it, it really is, when we talk about the book, Biting the Hand That Feeds, we're really biting our own hand. Because most of the people I've talked to, even those who've embezzled large, large, large amounts of money, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars, a lot of times that money just goes through their fingers. Sometimes they're doing it to help other people, their codependent family, friends, you name it. And they got very little to show for it, and then they got, you know, an addiction, they've got um, low self-esteem, they've got all kinds of emotional, psychological issues, they've usually been fired and caught, they may have their name in the paper, and now they have trouble finding a job. So this whole idea of getting something for nothing is very short-sighted, but it's very seductive and very insidious, and it seems like people can get away with it for a long time, but that's the hook, and it's, it's very tragic for many people. I've known doctors who've lost their jobs, politicians who've lost their jobs, have clients who CEOs who lost their jobs, um, nurses, administrators, bookkeepers, wonderful people who got into some kind of jam, financially or emotionally, began acting it out this way, and got hooked. You know, um, when we think about all of this, um, and I'm sitting here thinking about, as, as an addiction professional, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we ever really ask people on intake any oh, right. questions about compulsive spending or or shop, I mean, I, I think shoplifting. We, we do ask people if you've ever been arrested, yeah. but, but I don't think many places really go into this, no. do they? No, uh, we we all have enough on our plates, probably, and most places are dealing with other issues primarily. But um, but it, we are missing something too. If we really want to do a more full assessment, we've got to really kind of expand our assessment to include, you know, um, you know, sexual addiction, uh, shopping or spending addiction, debt, and not just ask about arrests in terms of legal issues, but you know. When we have a little time, asking, you know, well, how how often have you shoplifted? Or what was this about? Was this purely to fund a drug habit, or you know, is it something more? Is it a problem you currently have? You know, so I I think people are very gradually awakening to the fact that most people do have multiple addictions, you know, simultaneously, not just consecutively. Well, you know, so it, it and it is very complex, but um, it's very prevalent, and the um, the the, stat, the stats out there show that theft is on the rise. I heard one stat about a year ago out of uh, Fox News on Chicago that, that claimed that since the recession began a few years ago, employee theft has actually increased about 50%. And it was already at 75% of the population stealing. So one can only imagine, um, and shoplifting, and here we are, you know, the holidays are right around the corner, and there's a lot of shopping addiction that ramps up, a lot of shoplifting, a lot of employee theft, all during this kind of last quarter of the year. Um, so I'm glad we're having this interview now because if there are people out there who have a problem with these behaviors or know somebody, get help now. Don't wait till January 1st to make a New Year's resolution because that might be too late. You might be arrested. You might get fired from a job. You, you know, you might be way over your head in debt and, and maybe can't even afford therapy by then. So strike while the iron is hot. Get in to some recovery or treatment as quickly as possible before the holidays hit because that is a tough time to be uh, an active addict. Well said. Um, before we go to break, could you just explain the difference to our audience between somebody who may experience kleptomania and somebody who's addicted to um, shopping? Um, or stealing? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, kleptomania is a kind of a term that people throw around a lot, but it's, really a, it's, obvi- it's a very rare condition. It, it affects perhaps 
one half to one percent of the general population. You know, mostly women. And kleptomania uh, is a very impulsive kind of stealing. Like there's no premeditation. Um, it's more impulsive than compulsive, meaning more spur of the moment than I'm at home feeling really anxious and itchy. I'm thinking of going to the store to steal. I'm trying to talk myself out of it, and you know, I I, I can't, and I give in to the compulsion, and I get in my car and I go to the store, kind of like the drug addict going to the drug house, the alcoholic going to the bar. The gambling addict going to the casino. There's usually, you know, it's more of a compulsive aspect with addiction than uh, kleptomania is more impulsive, quick thought. It's also related to anxiety. So usually there's an anxiety attack or a panic attack, and and the person, the kleptomaniac, learns that when that anxiety comes on, instead of taking some deep breathing and self-talk or get out of the store, they pocket something, and the anxiety lessens. Also, the kinds of things that kleptomaniacs steal traditionally are things they don't even need or want to use. They discard them. It could be clothes that don't fit, shoes that don't fit, hundreds of pens. They can obsess on particular items and just hoard them. Whereas people who steal addictively typically do pinpoint items that they do want or need. They might not really uh, always use them. And there's a big anger component with shoplifting or theft addiction uh, versus um, kleptomania. Anger is not the primary reason why people steal, but it is so with most of the people I work with. Is there anything disassociative, like a... Um connected to kleptomania? That's a really good question. We think there might be um, because <clears throat> uh, there, there's a lot of abuse we know in general that people go through, a lot of traumatic um, you know, events that people suffer from, and sometimes when um, people get triggered, and it could be by a specific stimuli, and then they, they check out by getting anxious and, and then pocketing something, or even sometimes what happens is uh, sexual abuse memories come up you know, just in the context of being married or in a committed relationship or any kind of stress. So we do think that sometimes it is a way of kind of uh, acting out and showing there's a distress signal or a cry for help. And then if we get in deeper, um, we'll find out usually as we unpack a person's life that there's a lot of things they haven't dealt with yet. And we'll be right back to talk about hoarding in our next segment with Terry Schulman. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. Our guest today is uh, Terrence Schulman, and he is the director of the um, Schulman Center for, help me here, Terry, for... It's compulsive. actually compulsive theft, spending, and hoarding. Okay. All right. I wanted to get that in the right uh, okay. order. Okay. got it. <laughs> okay. Um, could you talk a little bit about compulsive spending, and then I want to talk about yeah. this whole um, concept, and it's not a concept, but it's the reality of hoarding. Right. Sure. Um, which seems sure. to be so much more prevalent than right. like 20 years ago. Yeah, well, they can be related, but not always. As we like to say, some uh, shopaholics also hoard, and some hoarders also overshop, but not necessarily. So you can have people who shop uh, addictively, compulsively, um, and then you know they have no problem getting rid of the things eventually or just letting somebody else get rid of the things. So they may not have a problem with accumulation and discarding. Uh, as a hoarder does, um, and a hoarder may be, may be primarily hoarding through buying things or overbuying things, but many times they could be a passive hoarder where, you know, they're just not throwing out the newspapers, not throwing out food, not throwing out bills, not throwing out old toys or old clothes, and, you know, it's more passive accumulation rather than active going out and shopping, or you can be a hoarder and, you know, pick up things off the side of the road, you know, so you're not really buying them, but you're bringing home, like, freebies or things like that, or there are animal hoarders who, you know, people who bring in stray animals, so you don't always have to be spending money to be a hoarder, and you can be a shopaholic without necessarily being a hoarder. But people laugh about shopping addiction, and we have this term shopaholic, and there's all these books, Confessions of Shopaholic. But if you think about it, how did our own country get $14 trillion in debt? You know, so in a way, what is modeled for us by not only our nation and a lot of companies who are cooking the books and doing all kinds of tricky accounting, you know, and, and often our own parents don't really teach us or, or healthfully model, you know, uh, spending, you know, uh, what to do with the credit card and in terms of values of, you know, um, you know, how much is enough in terms of material. And we live in a society that encourages uh, spending, accumulation of things to be acceptable, to be successful. And a lot of the people I work with who are uh, having problems with overspending are either over There's usually two categories. They're typically either overindulged at an early age, and so they learn to kind of feel entitled or expect it, and they have a hard time adjusting later, even if they don't have the money for it, they'll just put it on plastic. Or they felt deeply deprived, either materially or particularly emotionally, and so they're kind of making up for lost time by trying to give themselves things. Or like you mentioned earlier, when there's a trauma or a loss, it's very easy in the course of normal life to go, whether grocery store or the shopping market or the department store, and just start buying stuff to fill that emptiness or that void for the loss. So it's a very common problem, and we're still having problems coming to terms with it, even with our economic recession, because it's still a very bad problem. And when people are under stress, if they're already addicted to shopping, there's no guarantee they're just going to stop. They're going to keep going until they do. And then a lot of people, when they max out their credit cards or have no more money left to spend, then they resort to stealing, whether from work or from shoplifting. That's why I see a lot of overlap. Now, hoarding disorder, which is getting a lot of attention over the last few years because of a few books that came out um, and also the programs on TV like Hoarders, Hoarding Buried Alive, Clean House, Enough Already, Animal Hoarders. You can, I mean, there's at least five or six of them, Storage Wars. So, um, 
this is a problem that's been going on for a while, and it's estimated that roughly 5% of the population uh, has hoarding disorder, and it's actually a legitimate disorder that will now be uh, included as a separate disorder in the DSM-5 uh, that will be out in a couple years. And, you know, the reasons for hoarding disorder, remember, we all like to collect, and, you know, everybody, some people are neat freaks and some people are a little more cluttered, so we're not just talking about anybody, and those you know, scenes that you see on TV are some of the more extreme and unfortunate cases. So if you watch them, they're educational, but in a way, a hoarder, and a typical hoarder can watch them and say, well, I'm, I don't have a problem. Now they have a problem. You know, so you've got to be careful how you use those programs because it is drama for TV. But some of these cases are very sad where they either, usually slowly over time, we think that hoarding is partly genetic and partly learned. Um, a lot of times people who grow up with hoarders become hoarders, just like with alcoholics. Um, also, it seems to often happen for people after a trauma or a loss. Now, some people react differently to trauma or loss, but we know that hoarders, sometimes when there's a loss of control um, or um, uh, a trauma, some people start to cling to things because things are safe. They find security and control among things, but it gets out of hand. And, um, you know, uh, there's also a problem with um, cognitive discernment about what is valuable and what is not, or difficulty with decision-making. And we think this might be partly a cognitive disorder. We don't know if there's organic brain damage or if there's actually just this distortion of thinking like an, like an alcoholic has or an anorexic has. But people will actually not be able to discern the value between a scrap piece of paper and a diamond ring. Now, your average person could say, obviously, the diamond ring is something you want to keep for the scrap paper to throw away. But something happens in the brains of hoarders where everything blurs together, and they really cannot, without help and without treatment, discern you know, what is valuable and what is not. And when they try to give something away or throw something away, what happens is they hit a wall. They get very anxious and feel very uncomfortable, sometimes nauseous, sometimes like they feel like they're going to die, like they're giving themselves away or a part of themselves, and they can't do it. And it develops over time. I've got family members who are hoarders, and it's, it's, it's very hard to watch. Um, you know, and some people are very functional on the outside. You would never know what's going on in their cars and their homes or sometimes their offices. And that, to me, is fascinating, that somebody could be very organized at home right. in their job, and then you go to their house, and it's, it's the mm-hmm. complete opposite. So yeah. what, what, I don't understand. The, well, what's the difference? Is it... Well, it's no different. There's from, a boundary, or yeah. Well, um, particularly when you're in, uh, because it's a very shameful and private thing. So it tends to be more in the privacy of your own space, whether it's your car or your home. Just as people can be, you know, on the outside, very functional here, but they're having affairs. You would never guess it, including pastors or CEOs or politicians. Of course, we're so jaded, we're not surprised by anything anymore. Or you know, um, you could have somebody who uh, looks. Um, you know, totally normal in weight, but they're a, a bulimic. They're a binge eater um, and a bulimic. The, me, I was, you know, for 10 years of my life when I was shoplifting from 15 to 25, I was the most giving, caring person, and that's most of the people I work with. Very honest, if you had dropped your wallet, I would have given it to you, very giving, but somehow this opposite secretive shameful part of me that I kept hidden developed, which was the exact opposite, the polar opposite. It was a taking part. It was an angry part. It was a entitled part. It was a selfish part. So I work with this all the time, people who are kind of split. They have different parts that are split off. 
And so, um, but it causes a lot of shame and embarrassment. And hoarders, um, not only can be a, it can be a health hazard, a fire hazard, causes a lot of problems with family, can't have people over. Children who grow up with hoarders um, and, and often become hoarders themselves, it's very painful because they often feel embarrassed to have friends over. They, um, they, it affects their self-esteem, just like if you had a, a family member who's a drug addict or alcoholic. Um, and then they often become codependent and they try to clean up and, you know, they become the adult. Um, it, you know, there can be disease. Black mold can spread, um, flies, insects, all kinds of things. So it, typically what happens is a crisis will hit either it's an argument between a couple or uh, um, the health department might get involved or maybe a neighbor knows or somebody calls the health department or the police or something. And it's often, a, depending on the severity of it and how long it's been going on, it's often a very long-term process. And you can't just go in and clean the house up and say, voila, that's it. Okay, we're going to take the hoarder, send them away for three days, and when they come back, boom. You can't, that's not going to solve the problem, actually. It's, as a matter of fact, particularly if you do that without their permission, they're going to be very upset. They're going to feel their boundaries have been violated. It will create even a further rift in relations, and they may quickly or slowly try to reaccumulate. So it's more than just a matter of getting rid of the stuff. You have to help the hoarder figure out when did this happen, how did it happen, why did it happen, very gradually help them, help them be a part of it, help them let go of things uh, without dragging their feet, you know, giving them support to do it you know, at a fairly good pace, but you can't push them too hard either or the whole process will be stalled. So it is very frustrating, but um, it, it, can, it can, like anything, be helped. One of the points you make in your book is uh, about um, risk-taking and rule-breaking, and that mm-hmm. seems to be different than the person who's kind of got that hole in their soul they're trying to fill up. Or well, I have, yeah. well, I have a mini-chapter in my book called Risk-Taking and Rule-Breaking. I, I didn't have quite enough material for a whole book, but it's fascinated me along with the shoplifting and the employee theft, which is obviously risk-taking and rule-breaking. Even uh, shopping addiction in some way is risk-taking rule-breaking because a lot of times it's secretive and you're keeping it from your significant other or somebody. They even have a term called financial infidelity. So, you know, when you're lying about what you're buying or hiding your purchases or opening up a secret credit card account, it's almost like having an affair, and it's very damaging to the relationship. And even hoarding is a kind of a risk-taking and a rule-breaking. It's a rule-breaking around the agreement of boundaries. When all your stuff is taking over all the home, in a way it's a, it's a breaking of the, the etiquette or the protocol to have everybody be able to use the common areas, everybody have their own space. And it's a risk in terms of, you know, the um, the the danger that clutter can bring in terms of your health. But but there are people who aren't necessarily doing these behaviors but are, you know, constantly getting speeding tickets or constantly breaking rules and having authority issues or breaking all kinds of things. Maybe not the law, but, you know, bending rules. They just have to constantly do that. And there can be a hole in their soul, too. A lot of times if we go in and find out, where does this come from? Well, they often learned it from a family member or they may have been abused or violated in some way and it caused them to not have a respect for authority or rules because their own rules or boundaries were broken. And a lot of times we've got to get to that core, that core wound or that hole, or, you know, what's going on and, you know, what's really at the core of it and heal that. And it is adrenaline-producing for a lot of people, and it is an entitlement thing. Well, why should I wait in line? I know a way to sneak to the front of the line. I know a way to sneak into the movie theater. Uh, I know a way to, you know, crash that party or, 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 you know, get into that health club without being a member. I mean, it, and so for a lot of people... Uh, now, some people are antisocial personality. There are people who do that, but, but not everybody. Some people, it comes from a core wounding, and, and it becomes a pattern, a habit, and it is really it causes a lot of negative consequences. It's hard to be in a relationship with people like that. And, um, and eventually, the people are not really dealing with what is going on here 
where you have to constantly break the rule or get away with something and take these risks that oftentimes can be deadly or really, you know, get you into a lot of trouble. Now, there's healthy risks just in, in life. I mean, getting married is a healthy risk. Having a child is a risk. Starting your own business is a risk. Buying a home is a risk. Um, just getting in your car each day to go out, you know, and greet the day is a risk. Going skydiving, mountain climbing. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do without having to have this angry, dangerous, bratty kind of edge. And the secret keeping. And the secret keeping, right. Yeah, oftentimes the risk takers and rule breakers are going to kind of keep that secret, or they might do it in front of their significant other or a family member, but, um, and they might brag about it too. There are some people who feel very clever or powerful when they, when they are rule breakers and they feel, you know, that they can live on the edge or they feel privileged or special. But a lot of times that's really a cover-up, just like grandiosity, for deep insecurity and a lot of hurt and woundedness that they really don't want to face. And we'll be right back after this commercial with our final segment with Terry Schulman. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Terrence Schulman, who is the director and founder of the Schulman Center for Compulsive Theft, Spending, and Hoarding in Metro Detroit. And, Terry, I guess in our last segment it would be really good to talk about um, how do people, what, what are the most effective treatments for all of these disorders, and do each require something different? Well, that's a really good question, Mary. Um, so I'm a, I've been a therapist for 15 years, so I am a, a big believer in people getting counseling and therapy, and not just, you know, from your corner therapist who may or may not know how to, you know, work with these, but to really seek out specialized help. And, and frankly, uh, for the um, disorders of uh, shoplifting and stealing, um, there's very little help out there, unfortunately. There's very little specialized help. That's why, actually, I offer my services both by phone and, and by Skype uh, to make it available to people who maybe don't live in Detroit. So that's one thing. So if you go to the shulmancenter.com or kleptomaniacsanonymous.org or employeetheftsolutions.com, you know, you can find some help there. So obviously therapy, whether you're a shopaholic, um, hoarder, specialized therapy is the key. Support groups. Uh, I'm big on support groups. And, again, with the stealing behavior, there's very few support groups in the whole country, maybe about 20 uh, kinds of support groups that are somewhat like CASA, Kleptomaniacs and Shoplifters Anonymous. 
There are five here that I've started in Metro Detroit, including our flagship group, which just turned 19 years old uh, this past September. We've been meeting since 1992. But there are about um, 15 other groups spread across the country. We also have an email support group and several live phone support groups throughout the week. So people can go to those websites and, and maybe get support if they don't have a live group. Now, there are groups like Debtors Anonymous that are across the nation and the world. If you go to debtorsanonymous.org, there are not many Shopaholics Anonymous groups, um, but there are many Debtors Anonymous groups. And with hoarding, not that many support groups, unfortunately, either. Um, there are Clutterers Anonymous meetings, Clutterers Anonymous uh, kind of sprinkled throughout the area. There's, there's a small group in Metro Detroit. Um, there's also a Messy, Messy's Anonymous. Believe it or not, there's a group called that. But there are some phone and online groups, too, for hoarders. So we've got specialized therapy. We've got support groups. Medication often is something that uh, people need to be evaluated for. Um, reading books um, is, are, is a very good thing to do, too, or watching TV programs that are related to that particular topic. So there are a lot of programs about over-shopping, over-spending, um, hoarding, not as many about shoplifting and uh, employee theft, although if anyone goes to our websites, there are, there's a video archive of some of the many programs I've been on, and you can click those on for all these topics. And then really getting family involved to be educated is key because a lot of times there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of fear. Family needs to get educated about how they can learn about their loved one's addiction and what they can do to be of best support. Obviously, sometimes if you've got negative friends or negative places where you're hanging out. So it's really very similar to how we might deal with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction or gambling addiction. So all those things are, um, you know, very helpful. Um, so if somebody's looking for help, where, where's the best thing to... Where where's the best place to turn? I mean, are well, um, self assessments I, available or? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, probably about fifteen different websites that are all interconnected. But you know, the ShulmanCenter dot com, t h e s h u l m a n c e n t e r dot com, um, or and then they're all interlinked. So we've got uh, sites for shoplifting addiction, for employee theft problems, for shopping and spending problems, and for hoarding disorder. And so there's a lot of different information there. There are self-assessments, articles, videos, books that you can order directly from me or online. Uh, I have a free monthly e-newsletter that currently has about 1,300 subscribers. We started it in 2005. So you could click that on to any one of uh, my um, home pages, and you'll get a free monthly e-newsletter that you know talks about these different subjects that are in the news or things that I'm doing with the media or, um, um, and, and just very interesting topics, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, apply to each of these items. Um, but asking for help right now, and it's kind of hard because we can be very stubborn and defensive, and there's usually part of us that knows we have a problem and want help, but there's part of us that is afraid to get that help, afraid of the change, afraid of what feelings or issues might be brought up to be dealt with. And that's very understandable, but we each deserve to get that help. And, again, I think... This time of the year, as we're headed into the fall, winter, and the holidays are upon us, it really is, I mean, any time is a good time, but especially now, because a lot of people are going to be having very difficult holidays. There's going to be family gatherings and arguments over the behavior and, and hiding of the behavior. The holidays will be ruined. And, and for many people, they get depressed during kind of the, the winter months for those who are in colder weather. It's, just, it's really good to get help now to get a foundation. That way, by the time 2012 comes, you don't have to wait till January 1st. You've already laid a foundation, and 2012 can really be your year. 
So um, any way you want to get a hold of me by website, email, a phone number if you wanted to give that out, Mary, um, or I could. Very easy. Um, we'll, if we're not in the office, we'll return your call right away. It's two four eight three five eight eight five zero eight in Metro Detroit. And can you say it one more time, just in case? Yeah, two four eight three five eight eight five zero eight. And I think Mary is. Uh, I may have mentioned to you, um, but this might have been offline. Where um, even though I'm in Metro Detroit, I do have local clients, but most of my clients are from out of state. Sometimes even out of country. They find me usually on the internet or through a radio interview like this. And they've tried often, you know, regular therapy. It, you know, usually helps some, but a lot of times they really need to work with somebody who can hit the ground running with them and really understands uh, what they're going through. And so, um, you know, I do a lot of my therapy by telephone and also through Skype. And I do have a three-day intensive program where sometimes people will come to work with me for three days intensively here in Metro Detroit if they're willing to travel. Aren't you also part of an educational symposium that happens every year? Well, not every year. I actually speak uh, at a few different conferences. I'm always submitting proposals to kind of present on any or all these topics because I think they're pretty unique and undertreated. But I, every three years I put on what I call an international conference. It's a little ambitious, but we always have at least somebody from out of country, even neighboring Canada, who comes. But uh, we, we put one on, at, uh, on October 1st here in Metro Detroit. We had 40 attendees. And uh, we put on one in 2005 and one in 2008. So about every three years, I put on locally in the Metro Detroit area. So our next one would be probably in um, uh, 2014. Um, but I'm tra- I travel to and on my newsletters and on my websites, I put where I'm traveling to. So for instance, I'll be in Chicago um, uh, on Friday, November 4th, doing an, an all-day um, kind of counselor training, particularly for therapists. Uh, through the Illinois Institute for Addiction Recovery, and that's going to be on compulsive stealing, spending, and hoarding. So if any of you are interested, uh, go to the website or contact the Illinois Institute for Addiction Recovery. Um, so for counselors out there who may be listening to this, what's one thing that, that they could do right now? Um, is there certain questions yeah. they can ask? Is there something like a cage that they can use? Well, Here's what they could do. Again, my websites are chock full with information that hopefully will be helpful. And to make a, a minor investment in reading any one of my books that seems to be most on topic, the newest one is kind of a combination of all four of these topics, um, shoplifting, employees have shopping and spending, and a mini-chapter on risk-taking, rule-breaking. That might be someone somewhere where they want to start. And really, there's stories in there, there's statistics, there's interviews with a few other experts in these fields, there's exercises to do in the book. So it's really, it's really good for either the person who has a problem, him or herself, or the therapist to read to really get a better understanding. So the books and the website and watching the videos on my website are really the best way uh, to get kind of a sense of how to help people and really what contributes to these problems. And, and every recovery is unique because even if you're a general addiction counselor, I mean, what we know is people subspecialize more and more. So I've done a lot of work with chemical dependency, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm I still have some of my clients who have those issues, too, but we have people who specialize in eating disorders, gambling addiction, shopping addiction, um, workaholism, codependency, and now we need more and more uh, counselors out there to, you know, get out there and kind of subspecialize in these other problems, too, and really educate themselves so that they can better treat these growing problems that are very under-reported uh, and undertreated. That this is all really good stuff. It certainly has made me think a little bit more about, um, you know, uh, 
treating the whole person, if you will, and, yeah. and looking for things that, and other behaviors, because we know that oftentimes when people have one, when they're recovery from one addictive behavior, right. substitute another. Right, and a lot of times what people do, particularly with issues of dishonesty or maybe debt, is they'll try to work the 12 steps and just say, okay, I've just got to practice more rigorous honesty, which is all fine and good, but the, the dishonesty may itself be uh, a distinct addiction in itself that needs more treatment than just attending your regular 12-step group and trying to work on just the honesty part. It may require individualized and specialized treatment as well. Terry, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Um, I've certainly learned a lot, and um, you know, I really hope you get this information out to more and more people because thank it you. seems like um, this is just becoming pervasive. In our yes, society. thank you, so, Mary. I really and thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Keep in touch. I will. And I hope you all have a great week this week. And please, if you want to learn more about this, Cluttered Lives, Empty Souls, Compulsive Feelings, Spending, and Hoarding is Terrence Shulman's new book. And I'm assuming you can get this on Amazon? Yes, you can. Or you could go to clutteredlives.com and read excerpts of the book and um, also order it through PayPal or contact me directly. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.